Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. And then just start the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Okay. Hi. So, oh, hi. Sorry, I was going to literally start telling a story without any introduction. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Hi, I'm Lucy. I'm Emma, and we're here on this glorious Easter weekend. Yeah, it's nice. It's so nice being off work. I'm the. Mo- I'm a different person. <laughs> yeah. I'm so relaxed, but I still put off doing research to the very last <laughs> minute. I'm not completely different. I'm maybe half different. So this story that I'm going to tell you also took place on an Easter weekend, but back in 1842, um, on Wednesday the 6th of April, there was a policeman patrolling the Wandsworth High Street at about 8.45pm. This was PC Gardiner, and he was approached by a shop boy who ran up to tell him that there'd just been a theft at the pawnbrokers where he worked. He said that a dark-haired Irish coachman... Mm, suspicious like who the shiftiest character you could have in victorian england was not only irish but oh a dark irishman sounds kind of hot (laughs) (laughs) um and obviously at the time they would have had quite a specific um dress that would have shown the job so that's how he knew i don't know how i feel about pawnbrokers they're kind of a bit unethical aren't they they're really good plot shit. devices when people are running away and they're like, I need money fast. I'm going to sell my stuff. Yeah. I don't understand how they make money. I've only ever seen in films people selling their things to pawnbrokers. No one really wants to go and buy something. I think you sell them dirt cheap and then you buy them sort of quite cheap. Yeah. It's the business plan. <laughs> it's our business plan. Here's dirt cheap. It's one of those it's awkward things that it exploits desperate people, but also at the same time, it's there for desperate people. Yeah. And thrifty people. Like cash for gold. Everyone, no one has gold. <laughs> yeah. I don't have gold no. anyway. So anyway, so this dark haired Irish coachman had come into the pawnbrokers and he was actually looking to buy. Oh. He wanted to buy a pair of breeches. Yes. Over the knee breeches. The kind of thing that you see in period dramas and you're like, oh, if only men got their knees mm. out more often. So he wanted to buy these over-the-knee breeches. He was haggling over the price, um, but he did buy them. And while he was doing this, the shop boy, Sam, he noticed that the customer had then taken another pair of black trousers and shoved them inside his coat and then gone outside and stuffed them under the seats of his carriage. Mm. 
So Sam um, then told his boss. And at first I was thinking, why didn't you just say something straight away? But then I remember working in a jeweler's. And if my boss was serving someone, it was like she wanted me to be dead. Like, don't (laughs) even come close. She had the skills and she didn't want me to even get... Sometimes I'd be selling something and she'd just jump in at the last second just so she could make the sale and be like, yes, I'm so good. I was like, he was literally about to hand his card to me. It's not like... (laughs) Anyway, so he told his boss after... And then the boss went out to confront the coachman who just became really angry and defensive and rode away. So another young man um, called Robert had witnessed this whole scene and he knew who the coachman was, um, seeing him around. Obviously, he's a coachman for a specific household and so he knew where he lived as well. And he knew that his name was Daniel Good and that he worked at Granard Lodge. So PC Gardner, along with Sam and Robert, these two likely lads who were just in it for the lols a little bit, <laughs> and also for identification, um, they all went to Granard Lodge together. So the main house belonged to a wealthy and retired merchant called Mr. Queely Shield. That's a good one, right? Queely. That one's gone out of style. Yeah. Um, he and his wife were both in their 80s. And they lived with their barrister son, his wife, and their four daughters. And then they had about a dozen other servants, lots of female ones. So pretty rich then. Very much so. So the men were directed by a footman to the stable buildings further up the road where they'd find the lodgings for the coachmen and the gardeners. So there were two blocks of stable rooms. And then above one of the blocks, there were about four apartments or rooms for the staff to stay in. So PC Gardner, Robert and Sam, they rang the bell and waited. And then it was answered by the coachman, Daniel Good, and his 10-year-old son. Prizes for guessing the son's name. Daniel Good. Yep. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. You win the boat. (laughs) So PC Gardner said that he was here to arrest him on suspicion of theft. But Good said, "Mm, yeah, I bought the breeches. I just haven't paid for them yet. Well, I mean, that's not how shopping works. Yeah, I just like, obviously I bought them legally. I just didn't actually fulfill my side <laughs> of the bargain. Um, so, but he got his wallet out and was like, look, I can pay for them right now. Just take the money. Ooh. Let's be off with it. So um, PC Gardner was actually a bit of a stickler. and was like, no, that's not how it works. This man wants to press charges. You're going to have to come down to the station and sort it out there. So because he'd been a bit, weird about it um pc gardener also i think he was trying to claim that he'd got the one pair of trousers but they knew he had two yeah the one he'd stuffed in the carriage so the officer asked to search the carriage and the stables so he said yes and the first stable searched fine no drama whatsoever but then they came to the next block and immediately daniel good stood in front of the door and wouldn't let any of the men in <laughs> so why did he say yeah fine search them all and then suddenly it was it's like, one of those weird, weird things where you're trapped it's like if i say no straight away you see it all the time on like shows on tv where the, the police are being followed because if you say no you've given it away yeah. and if you, you have to just sort of say yes and hope that they don't search thoroughly enough <laughs> It's like you can call my mum if you want, if I'm from a school kid, in the hope that you don't call them. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, (laughs) dialing the number now. Wait, no, I didn't really do my homework. Mm. Yeah. I knew it. Um, I always do that. So what will your mum say when I talk to her about it? Yeah, I do that. With sick (laughs) formers. So mum's not going to be pleased, that is true. 
Um, so he was blocking this door and then they started arguing about it and causing a bit of a ruckus. So the head gardener, um, he then came over having heard what was going on and he demanded that Good stand aside. And obviously now he had to because this guy worked with him. If he didn't let them search, he's like, well, that's it. You've lost everything now because he's going to tell people. So everyone went in. Um, PC Garner goes in, Robert, Sam, the head gardener, Daniel Good, and his 10-year-old son all go in to this next stable to search. And um, Robert and Sam were asked to keep an eye on Good, and he seemed really uncomfortable and shifty and nervous. So he was then seen moving some hay bales from one side of the stall to another. So the officer said, right, you're going to have to stand outside the stall now and keep still. So PC Garner immediately went to look where the hay bales had been moved to and saw what he thought was a plucked goose. Um, and it was like, what? Is it a dead baby? He, well, it was like, it was quite large. It was larger than a goose. It had no feathers, but it didn't have any other features really so he was like what's this a goose and when he heard that daniel good ran out of the stable and locked the door behind him so that everyone else including his son was stuck inside so they immediately tried breaking the door down with a pitchfork and then they gave up um, and they're like right and we'll just go back and inspect this because at this point they're like he's a thief we'll got his son we'll get him in a minute let's go back and see what we've actually found um and it was some time before they were using a lantern. It was dark. And then it was only when they turned it over and saw that it had breasts that they realized it was a female torso. Oh, my God. So if you imagine that from the back, just a, just the torso. It Very was much like, not a goose then. No, but it didn't definitely didn't look female, uh, human yeah. from that side. So it was completely naked and the stomach had been opened and all the organs removed. Whoa really vile and gross. I was thinking this is going to be like some cutesy little <laughs> I know I had you going right yeah. <laughs> no it's fucking gross so it took a further 15 minutes for the men to break open the door and send for police backup because now obviously they'd not just lost a thief they'd lost a murderer as well so one sergeant when he arrived he noticed there was a pool of dried blood near the torso and a blood and urine stained mattress had been rolled up and hidden under some more hay i mean he shouldn't have stolen those trousers well yeah it just shows that this daniel good not only was he great but he had this sort of like blatant disregard this nonchalance that yeah Mm. he'd obviously done a horrible thing and then was still going out less horrible things yeah so in another room just off from the stable um that was used for storing harnesses an officer noticed this strong foul smell so the door was forced open where it had been locked and they said quote it resembled the odor of rind of pork when burnt it nearly threw me on my back is that a bad smell if you eat pork well, I was thinking that. Like crackling. But then I, th- yeah, exactly. But unless they mean like when it's all got the hairs on yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, like, oh. So there was a larger than normal fireplace in this room. And it had, they said it appeared to be a couple of wheelbarrows full of coal and wood had been tipped into it. So they were making a huge fire. Um, and the head gardener said the previous day he had noticed that there was smoke coming from this harness room and that Daniel Good, who was having a fire in there, he said the smoke did smell 
quite similar, but he assumed that he was singeing horsehair, which was a practice that they um, do to horses so that they don't have their winter coat grow through. So the smell of like burning hair or burning animal wasn't totally bizarre. Mm. And then a second gardener, um, the second gardener, he was the rank below, he also told police that he'd witnessed the fire the day before and he'd asked Daniel Good if he was singeing the horses. But according to him, Daniel Good said, oh, I'm really hungover, so I was roasting some cheese to revive myself. <laughs> what? <laughs> he's not a very good liar, this No. Guy. Why wouldn't you just... He's given you an just out. Say, yes. Are you, are, you, are you singeing the horses? Are you doing this logical activity <laughs> that would create the smell? No, it's cheese. <laughs> I'm roasting cheese. And is roasted cheese a well-known hangover cure? You're quite I'm not roast sure. cheese. It'll just melt. You're melting cheese. Yeah. <laughs> and depends what kind of cheese, I guess. Maybe he's roasting halloumi. Maybe. So... Police discovered in the fireplace after digging around, they found the remains of a skull and some other pieces of bone. And in the same room, they found in a drawer a knife that had blood on it, a saw and a bloody axe against the fireplace. And then a few pieces of torn women's clothing around. It was thought that the corpse had been dismembered and disemboweled about three days prior to this discovery. So these two gardeners, they were a father and son, both with the name Horton. They didn't care much for Daniel Good and they thought him a man of poor character. Um, They said they hadn't heard anything on the nights when the murder could have taken place, but they had witnessed some women visiting with Good at the stables. Do you ever sometimes when you're researching just get into it and then think, fuck, what if this story is not true? Um, No. What do you mean not like... What, like you just... you just start doing it and I think, oh, this is so weird. Maybe it's a story. Mm. It's not a story. I'm just saying like, <clears throat> it aren't people weird? Yeah. I don't, sometimes I think that like, do you know when you're watching stuff on TV and you're like, oh my God, that's really creepy and scary. Like Luther and stuff where they're killing all people and stuff. And then you think, shit, stuff like like actually happens. And like at some moment it could be happening somewhere that's terrifying so back to this real story um so these two women they'd seen visiting they hadn't come at the same time they were different in age there was a younger woman who was a barmaid in wimbledon and there was an older woman who was said to be daniel good's sister and she'd looked after daniel good's son for at least a couple of years and he'd lived with her So the boy, he said he'd lived with his aunt, um, but he was asked to call her mother and his dad would come and visit them. He said on Monday of that same week, his dad had picked him up from school and said that his mother is going to be working away in service for another family. So he'd slept that night with his father. But then on the Tuesday night, he was sent to stay over with a woman called Mrs. Hester and then returned to his dad's place on this Wednesday the 6th, the day the police had arrived. So this poor kid has had a really upside-down life. Mm. Like, mo- picked up, said, oh, you're never going to see your mum again. Gone to stay with his dad, stay with another woman. Gone to stay with his dad, and the police arrived, and they found a body. Yeah. Horrendous. So earlier that day, um, on the Wednesday the 6th, his dad had taken him out in the carriage with a box that contained one of his mother's blue bonnets, And they'd gone to see a woman called Susan Butcher. 
She went with Good to a pub and baby Daniel Good, he was allowed to drive the carriage so long as he referred to Susan Butcher as his mother. Fucking hell. I know, he's just like, have this woman, she's your mum now, call her mum. This woman, she's your mum now, call her mum. That's weird. Really awful. I don't know if he thinks like that his son is some sort of weird, like turns women on like, oh, call the mother and they'll love it. But so his actual mother's dad, we're assuming. Yes. So then his aunt was like what he saw as his mother for most of the time. Well, he'd only been with her for two years. And so I think he was told, he called the mother just because he had to. But I think it was very much like, this is the woman looking after me. Even like, mother. (laughs) So like old fashioned. Mother. So then on the way home from this visit is when his father decided to stop at the pawnbrokers to nick some trousers. So... Um, as the boy told of this Susan Butcher, um, it was clear that she was this young barmaid and she was not the murdered woman. So this, they deduced that the dismembered torso must belong to the lady known as Good's sister and baby Daniel Good's former mother. She was called Jane Jones, but also went by the name of Jane Good. So PC Gardner, who'd let Good escape arrest, he was later discharged from the force because of his bumbling. Um, And lots of other officers were suspended um, because not only had he managed to get away at this moment, but also it took the police a really long time to circulate his information to all officers. This case is um, used as sort of a case study in how police information should be shared and passed on quickly because Daniel Good managed to evade capture for a really long time through seemingly the fault of the police. Mm. Um, So the night he ran on Wednesday the 6th of April, Daniel Good actually went to Jane Jones's room to sleep and he left in the early hours of the morning with some of her possessions, including her bed. What? Like there's a lot of talk about how they were carrying this bed around and he, <laughs> they witnessed God. a man carrying a bed. So I don't know if, what sort of Victorian equivalent of a bed he's I mean, take the mattress off and then like maybe it's quite thin I don't metal. Know, some weird fold up thing. Oh, I suppose you take the two headboards and Fucking like the hell. ends, but he was carrying her bed around apparently. Maybe it was metal because then you could, that's maybe worth something a bit more. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he took her clothes, took a trunk of clothes, and he took her bed. Uh, so Daniel Good had been paying for this room that for Jones to live in that was above a greengrocer's shop, and she actually put a sign outside that advertised her mangling services under the name of Jay Good, and it was there that she lived. No, with it's a euphemism. Her mangling services. <laughs> well, I thought that she just, but no, she just took in mangling. But then I think how. Like, mangling must have been such a shit job if it's like, not I'll just do all your washing for you, but I'll just do the mangling. So you're just squeezing the water out. Maybe she did a bit of ironing as well. She would have had really beefy arms. Yeah. But anyway, so that's where she'd lived with baby Daniel for at least two years. And she was told that Daniel's real mother had died. And then... Daniel Good Sr. was known to visit them there regularly. Most days he would pop in. So now a police officer called Sergeant Perdrian had a lead on Good and he was hoping to earn the glory of capturing 
Um, so he continued following this trail alone, not telling other officers what he was oh up to. Oh my God, he's Luther. He is. And he was, um, so basically he knew that he'd caught a cab from this house. So then he was trying to track down the cab driver so we could ask him where he dropped him off. And then when he found where he dropped him off, he'd ask them what cab he got next. So he was following this trail, but he was always about 12 hours behind him. He'd always just missed where he was next. So Good was eventually sighted with a woman who turned out to be 59-year-old fruit seller, Mrs. Molly Good, another wife of Daniel Good. Bloody hell. And what's thought to be possibly his only lawful wife. So they were seen transporting this trunk of Jane Jones's belonging and her bed around the town. Eventually, Sergeant Perdrian, on Friday of this week, he traced Mrs. Molly Good's home and he spoke to her. Um, she said Daniel Good was her husband... Um, They'd been estranged for seven years because he'd gone to live with another woman. And then later in sort of the newspapers, they interviewed her and she told the full story about how they'd married at quite a young age. It seemed that Daniel Good was about 18. She was in her 20s. Then he disappeared for eight years um, with another. He came back with the son that he'd had by another woman and then they both went off again for another seven years god she's quite a patient lady yeah so well i think well what she said was that he'd come to her house he'd shown up and said about like told her all these things like how he was sorry how horrific it was he'd hugged her he'd cried and i think she'd be like oh my god he actually feels something do you know what it's been about eight years since i last saw my ex that i was with for five years I'm like if I met up with him I still have like nightmares that I'm with him you know and then like I wake up and I'm like oh thank god if he came to you crying would you not be like oh I'd be like oh this is awkward it would be really (laughs) awkward so weird I also have nightmares that I'm on online dating and I've got to find my next partner and then I'm like I'm like I don't want to do it and then I wake up I'm like Oh, yeah, I'm married. I think if my ex came to me crying, I would like it, but not in a way that I'd take him back, just in a way that I'd be like, finally! <laughs> you shit. I win. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he knew how to sweeten the deal. So after he'd played the emotional card, apparently he gave her some money to go and buy some rum, and then they downed this bottle of rum with their breakfast. Oh, yeah. Sounds like a good morning. I know. Like, he just seems like... He, Sounds like the Easter holiday. He definitely seems like that first boyfriend, doesn't he, though? Who's, yeah. like, a little bit off the rails. Like, let's just get drunk and fuck the world. Um, so then he gave her some clothing, which presumably was Jane Jones's old dresses. And they went together to the pawnbrokers. So he tried to go himself. But the pawnbroker was like, I don't know you. I don't know where this stuff's from. It could be stolen. So I think that's what prompted him to go and find Molly. Because then she accompanied him to the pawnbrokers. And was like, oh, he's my husband. He's been away at sea for several years is what the story was. Um, These are just things that he's collected on his travels. And they're totally legit. So then, after they'd managed to get rid of the items, they went off to have a coffee. And Molly got hungry. I mean, she's an older lady now. She doesn't have time for this shit. And she was like, go get me an egg. (laughs) I don't know what type of egg. Just an egg, a boiled egg, just a munch on. But she asked for an egg. And he went off but never returned back to her. Oh, she never got that egg. No. So at this time, posters were now being distributed with the description of Daniel Good. So, first, he's an Irishman. 
what, yeah. Very important in Victorian times. There was a lot of prejudice against Irish people. Mm. They weren't... Um, Whereas now we're like, oh, Irish. Uh, yeah, but at the time, not a big thing. So that's first on the list. I don't know how you could spot him, but that's <laughs> yeah. it. He's an He looks Irish. He was aged about 46 years. Oh, he's older than I thought then. Yes. Five foot six inches high. Mm, quite mm. short. A very dark complexion. Long features bald at the top of his head oh i thought it was cute and here's the killer walks upright oh. as opposed to <laughs> drags himself on his belly you know what walks upright was the deal but i suppose when you're short you probably try open that. eyes it does seem like this de- i mean he murdered someone and dismembered them that's definitely a thing. He left a lot of women. He was a bit of a scumbag. but A bit of a scumbag. <laughs> he was definitely a bit of a scumbag. But yes, they were prejudiced against him being Irish, being dark complexed. Like there's a lot of things yeah, in there. Yeah, if you're going like, to prejudice, let's pick on the fact he's a murderer. They're almost saying like, oh, you should have known by looking at him that he was a badden. <laughs> but he was a badden. So meanwhile, um, Jane Jones's remains, they were identified um, apparently, and again, this was reported in the newspapers that she had this mole on her neck that some of her neighbours were like, yes, that's definitely her. Um, And then the torso, um, because at the time, and we spoke of this before, what they would do is they would take the bodies of recently deceased people and they would put, they'd sort of lay in the local pubs and that's where the coroner would do their stuff and also people could come and pay their respects that was quite a common thing to do um so her remains were laid in a pub um but then it started to draw quite a lot of a crowd and people were actually paying to come and see it oh my god i thought it'd put Um, you off your pine and it would have been it wouldn't have been her it wouldn't have looked like her at all no um but look thankfully on the 15th of april her remains were buried in putney and she had quite a large service so the press they were absolutely running with the story for days and days many were speculating that the stomach had been cut so that they could remove evidence of a pregnancy um and then they started a whole wild tales of his love affairs and how evil he was that he had not only killed her he'd killed this unborn child um but this couldn't be confirmed by any of the doctors working on the case but it was definitely a big thing that went around that she was pregnant yeah well i thought that as soon as you said her torso was open that there maybe there'd been a baby removed or something so also the state of the compartment of the carriage that he drove um suggested that the organs and her innards they'd actually been held in there or transported in there and then again the newspapers then said oh he must have dumped them in the thames and then people were hunting for things and saying oh this must be a piece of her but it's really hard to link those things together gross so good had tried to get in contact with people while he was on the run so he could speak four languages english irish yeah irish gaelic italian and french oh um but he couldn't read or write at all so he had to find someone that he could dictate some letters to so he found a man in the pub he found a fellow irishman paid him with alcohol and got him to write some letters um he then did this a second time but the people he was asking they were barely literate so these letters are on file um in the archives and they're so badly spelt it's almost (laughs) impossible to read them um but they were both sent to his employer at grenard lodge 
So the first one was asking him to look after his boy. He was like, you owe me some wages. Please use that to look after him. Um, And then he started going on about how he was a good Roman Catholic before he met Susan Butcher. Um, There's a mattress in the stable that they'd both slept on, but she's the cause of all this trouble. It's all Susan Butcher's fault. And then the second letter was basically a suicide note saying that he was planning to throw himself into the Thames by Waterloo Bridge that night. But Good hadn't gone through with this. Um, He'd actually made his way to Tunbridge, posing as a bricklayer, and he'd managed to find work, found lodgings, and just settled in. And he just went well and undisturbed for about a full week working in Tunbridge. So... Unfortunately for him, though, Saturday the 16th of April, Good was recognised by... Was he walking upright? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Um, But he was recognised by a man called Thomas Rose. He was a former police officer who had worked around the Putney area that Good had worked in. And again, because you're a coach driver for this well-known, really rich family, they recognised him as being this coach driver. Um, Good denied it. So Thomas Rose was like, okay, sure. He went and told the police, then went back to Good and asked him to go to the pub with him for a drink. And that's where the police were finally able to ambush and get him in handcuffs. Um, Molly Good, his older wife, was also arrested and was charged with receiving stolen goods because she still had possession of the dresses that... Um, Daniel Good had given her she obviously this caused a lot of controversy because he she told the police she'd spoken to the police and said he came here he gave me gifts this is what happened so the police could have taken them back if they wanted but they were the ones that left them with her and then said now you've got stolen goods yeah that seems pretty harsh so then on the Monday her charge was then changed to murder what as they claimed that she was like a co-conspirator with Daniel Good. So his trial began on Friday the 13th of May, 1842, at the Central Criminal Court, and Molly Good was on trial right alongside him. Um, He pleaded not guilty, and thankfully, due to her lawyers, Molly's charge was changed again, so to unlawful harbouring of him, saying that she knew he'd committed a murder and she helped him anyway. Um, And then they asked, look, let's try them separately, and that was granted by the judge. And eventually the charges against her were just completely dropped. Yeah. Um, I think there'd been such huge media, newspaper coverage of this story and a lot of police blaming that they th- thought we need to get more bang for our book with this and make it. And so she was sort of the scapegoat for that. Yeah. Luckily, it didn't come to fruition. So witnesses of the event um, that happened leading up to Jane Jones's death on that Easter Sunday, spoke at court. So one was a man who met Daniel Good and Jane Jones as they were walking arm in arm together. And they sort of bumped into each other. And Daniel said that she was his sister, as he told many people. They then went to the coach and horses and they drank gin together and they told the landlord, oh yeah, we're siblings. Then they went and called on Mrs. Hester. If you remember from earlier, she was the woman who looked after baby Daniel for a night when the murder possibly took place. So they went to visit Mrs. Hester and Daniel told her, oh, this is my sister-in-law. Miss Hester then told them, oh, I've heard some stuff about you, actually. Um, The gardener, Horton, he says that Susan Butcher 
was sleeping over in the stable and was properly stirring it. <laughs> and this, of course, massively upset Jane Jones. She had never heard of this Susan Butcher before. She knew nothing that he was seeing other women. And she lost her head and demanded to know who she was, what's happened. And Good was like, look, she's just a friend. It's fine. But then this carried on outside of the house. A policeman saw them both having a loud argument in the street, not far from um, his home, the estate. Um, but then it seems they sort of bypassed the lodge because they were seen again in another pub at seven o'clock that night. And the landlord said that it seemed like he was urging her to drink, that she kept pushing her glass away and he kept bringing it back to her mm. and making her drink more. So it's possible that he just got her really drunk, taken her back and killed her to get rid of this thing because of Susan Butcher. Um, Susan Butcher, she spoke at the trial of how good um, would come and visit her. He gave her presents. He'd asked her to marry him. And she said she'd refused because he was a Catholic and that the night that she went and stayed at the stable, she'd slept alone in the room on that mattress. She'd just been, they'd been out drinking and she just stayed over there. And then the last time that she'd seen him had been that 6th of April when he took his son to meet her, gave her some presents that he said had belonged to his late wife, including the blue bonnet. So the defense was that Jane Jones had been so devastated at hearing of goods and faithfulness that she'd taken her own life by slitting her throat as she stayed in the stable. Then Good said that he found her body and completely panicked. So he took the knife she'd used to cut her throat and threw it into the river. He then covered her over with hay while he just thought what to do. And then the next day, a match seller came to the house and he told him, I've got a dead body in the stable. Oh, God. <laughs> just as you do. <laughs> and so this... <laughs> Bloody match seller. He's like, just... This oh, match seller apparently was like, there. hmm, matches are my game. Disposing of bodies is my hobby. So <laughs> he offered to help him get rid of the body. But this is the first time the mismatch cell had been brought up. Yeah. He just like was riffing at trial. Um, so apparently this mysterious match seller was going to ha- do everything. So Good said, well, here's an axe, here's a knife and locked him inside the stable. So Good had no idea what's happening. No yeah, one could go right. in. So while he was locked in the stable, according to Good, the match seller cut off her head, cut off her limbs and burnt them. It's just so ludicrous that some stranger would be like, yeah, I'll do it for you. Like, Yeah, you've just told me you're a murderer. I want in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then the match seller apparently was supposed to come back the next day to take away the rest of the remains, but had never shown up. And that's when the police got involved. So he was like, the only thing I'm guilty of is I took her earrings and her rings from her body and gave them to Susan. But she said that she was glad Jane had gone. Um, The jury weren't having any of it. They were just like, nope. And he was hanged at Newgate Prison on the 23rd of May in 1842. Wow. That's an interesting one. It is. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Okay, get ready for a tale which does not contain any murder of the normal sense. Ooh. So this is the story of Daryl Rowe. And Daryl Rowe was born in 1990. He was in care from being a baby. So very, very young. Um, not much is known about his early years. Um, he he went into foster care. Well, he went into his, his like, long-term foster home, age eight. So he had these two foster parents that I'm just going to refer to as his parents because they were basically, like, mum and dad. He called them mum and dad. They took him on. They were his family. So it was long-term foster, so he was with them for... From age eight onwards. Oh, oh okay, great. Forever. Um, he had some evidence of, like, scars and scolding on his body when he um, went into foster care. So he'd obviously I was going to say, if you only go in at age eight, that's long enough to make you really, really messed up. Yeah, well, I think before that, maybe there were other foster homes and maybe um, there were children's homes. I'm not sure. There's not a lot Like, I've seen online. kids who've had early childhood trauma and they just can't get over mm. it. Like, Awful. their attachment issues that come from that are huge. Yeah absolutely um so the couple that he um was fostered by lived in north berwick in scotland and he called them mum and dad they went on holidays he was they described him as sociable loving very thoughtful like quite you know like if you had people around he'd offer them to make them a cup of tea like no way a nice boy my brother won't even make me a cup of tea now right unless it's in the shit mug (laughs) not a poo (laughs) mug but like it's a really ugly mug that has a palm tree for a handle. No one oh, wants it. No. And my mum keeps it just because she thinks it's hilarious when I get the shit mug. <laughs> no. So age 19, he moved out of his parents. They said he could stay. It wasn't like typical. He like, was just being independent. Yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, now our foster care is done. Move out. Like they're still in contact with him. They're, okay. they're, his, they're, he's their son. Um, so as a young man, he trained as a hairdresser and he got a job working in a salon in Edinburgh. So in 2015, at 25 years old, Daryl was told he had contracted HIV from sex with a previous boyfriend. 
and he was gay um he was really shocked angry um and when hospital staff discussed uh, his treatment and and moving forward he told them he didn't want the antiretroviral drugs which they were really shocked by because obviously that halts the progression of the disease and do you think it's a denial situation like similarly to why i get really like i don't want to go for a smear test because it's not because i think i'm fine it's because i just don't want to hear the bad stuff potentially yeah maybe um but you should definitely you should go (laughs) everyone should go for smear tests that's not a logical line of thinking but just like i understand that feeling of like no i don't want the drugs like just get me out of here if Mm. if someone told me bad news i'd be like i just want to leave now because you don't want to yeah no i yeah i can't even open like my grades of for an observation or like of, like my results at university i'd hate i hate any kind of news even if it's good um i just hate news i yeah, hate all the information that comes to me that's it. why we do podcasts that look at the past i don't want anything new i wouldn't even look at the stats for the podcast i don't like it. <laughs> that's true just like uh don't want to know we could be famous and I wouldn't even know it. Uh, we're not. Um, so so the what the drugs do is they inhibit the steps of the HIV infection. So they halt its progress. So if you take them within two weeks, the viral load um, of your, I guess, your blood and your semen drops by 99%. So the chance of passing on the infection goes way, way down. That's really um, good. Yeah, amazing. So and obviously everyone who knows they have HIV takes it. Um, so just days after finding out about being HIV positive, Daryl posted a video online and you can go on YouTube if you put in um, Daryl Rowe, I think it will come up. And it talks about him, um, it's nothing to do with HIV. He talks about how healthy he is and his healthy lifestyle. And basically he goes on, he says, I'm vegan. Um, he doesn't say like, I'm a vegan. <laughs> he just says it normal. Oh, so psychologically, what do you think the... I don't know. Reason, like you've just been... Well, is it... Like you've just been told you've got this virus, so he goes and makes, no, I'm healthy. Like Yeah. It's I denial, so, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. He's in denial. So he says he's vegan, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, he stays active, he talks about the healthy food that he eats. Oh, like I'll be fine without the drugs because I'm going to keep myself healthy, do you I, think? What, the underlying thought? kind of... Yeah, maybe, that's what thinking. Maybe. But so the only treatment they actually take he doesn't tell anyone about his diagnosis but the only treatment he takes is that he tries to drink his own urine which um he'd heard about online and um it's some, it's something that he'd read about on the internet so he drinks his own piss which does fuck all <laughs> other than like taste disgusting i imagine i, I don't think i could do it i think i'd just throw up i don't i'm sure there's reasons why people think actually it's good i'm sure there's people listening to it no, <laughs> well, drink their own there piss. probably are people listening that drink their own piss because you do hear of people that do it but like from a really base level of almost no scientific knowledge thinking that i've drunk something i've taken all my nutrients out of it that i want and now it's the waste product why would I think that drinking that again would help me? Like I've taken, I should have taken, yeah. water's nothing anyway. Like there is like water's so nothing, it's see-through. It's got nothing of interest. <laughs> and so if I've taken what's good out of this see-through crap nonsense, what am I going to be taking in? Yeah, nothing. What, the left? yellow, the yellowness. <laughs> the yellow. It's just going to get more and more yellow. It is going to get more. Ugh. I wonder, oh, that'd be interesting. I'd like to see the stages of piss that you're, you know, if you keep drinking yeah, it, just, how it just creases. Just dust in the air. It's, isn't it, what, is it urea, like? 
your piss hole just coughs in the final just day. dust <laughs> eventually you'll get to diamond <laughs> you'll just crystallize it yeah so at this oh. point daryl begins using the grinder app which i'm sure we've all heard about from grinder app <laughs> grinder um stephen port used grinder didn't we? we've talked about it in that episode so to meet other gay men so he sends like he will send flirty messages, then he'll swap photos, and then he have sexy conversations with the men, and then they'd meet sort of standard protocol of like dating. Modern sex dating. Out. So then he so he he starts meeting these men and um the way that it would go was he would meet them up meet up with them. And I'm going to tell you a story of one of them, but I think this happened when he moved to Brighton, but this is kind of a standard story. So one man who met Daryl was called Lenny. And he said in their messages, Daryl said he didn't want to use a condom. So they talked about what they were going to do. So he already said in the messages, I yeah. don't want to use a condom. I'm not using a condom. Um, he hadn't mentioned anything about HIV. That's not HIV even a positive. red flag. What's what's the step up from red flag? And then he had said in the text messages that, um, no, you are using a condom. Daryl agrees. He, Lenny had given him his address um, in one of the messages. Over grinder. Yeah. No. Um, so what year are we talking? We should have learned by now. <laughs> <laughs> Fairly recently. It's in the last few years. Um, um, they hadn't arranged to meet up, but Daryl just turned up at his house. Do you Lenny think that's was like, men? Oh. Do you think that's men being like, I'm safe? Maybe. Then, yeah. I don't know. Because you wouldn't, would you? No, you wouldn't. Like, come around my house. I'll fuck mm. the shit out of you. Was that, was that an offer to all the listeners? Yeah! <laughs> no, I don't know. Cut it, Cut it all. <laughs> um, so, and then, so Daryl just turns up and then he's like, oh, okay, but okay, you can come in. Then, and then uh, Daryl tries to have sex with him without a condom and then he says, absolutely not. You might as well leave then. But Daryl says, okay, I agree and put it on. And then a week later, Lenny starts to get strange aggressive messages from Daryl, accusing him of blocking him. Um, which I've got an interesting story about, not to do with this. A blocking someone. Yeah. And then they message you on something really weird. No. They, like, um, my mum wasn't getting any of my messages. And I was like, I keep texting you. And I was like, you're the only one who's not receiving it. I don't understand what's wrong. And then my brother came to visit. Um, but he looked on mum's phone. It turns out she bloody blocked me. How <gasps> the hell? Like, no wonder you're not getting my fucking messages. But I could get her still, which is weird. She'd blocked you. She'd and obviously she'd have done it by some sort of weird accident. Yeah. But what did she think blocking meant? Like, she must, do you think she was like, oh, yes, block that? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. I was like, oh, I was getting the blame. Like, your phone's not working. I'm not getting your messages. No, I didn't find, I, I didn't know you were going to be late because you, your message didn't come through. Like, it's my fucking fault. Mm. <laughs> like, like, I'm creeped out even by, me. like... I mean, because I know, like, there's no difference. Like, if someone's got your number, they've got your number. But, like, some there's some people where you only message them on, like, WhatsApp application, as Luke <laughs> yeah. calls it. But there's some people that you just message on WhatsApp. And then if you don't reply to them, they'll then send you a text message. <laughs> and I'm just like, why are you being creepy like that? Like, that immediately is so creepy to me. Even though it doesn't make a difference. It's not like I've had to block them. It's just, like, the fact that they're like, I'll try another portal. <laughs> Although sometimes I will... Like, do you know, if I think, oh, they probably haven't got internet. Yeah, that's different. But, but if I've sh- seen you've read it, yeah. I won't be like, oh, I'm not going to try it. If you're asking me on a date and I haven't replied, it's not because I haven't read it. <laughs> yeah, just wait. You know I mean? like, <laughs> like, there's no time. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just think that's creepy. Don't double portal anyone. That's weird. It's worse than a double text. That's a step of desperate beyond, isn't it? Yeah. 
Absolutely. So if you think someone's blocked you, they don't want to talk to you. Basically, unless if you have mom. if you have that feeling that they've blocked you, go, trying to contact them another way and saying why did you block me isn't going to make the situation better. No. That's not going to mend the relationship. That's just going to make <laughs> you more creepy. Yeah, rules to live by. Um, unless it's my mum, and then uh, unless it's your mom, I would. I, might have, I might love have it you. because I think she could have quite possibly <laughs> blocked you on purpose. Yeah, fuck this bit. What? <laughs> Or not realised what block meant, but thought, I don't want to reply to this. I'll block it. (laughs) Ridiculous. So anyway, a week... So then he sends all these awful messages. And then he becomes more and more angry. And then he sends this message. You can't get rid of me. You're gonna burn. I ripped the condom. I got you. So then he's like, fuck. Um, But initially ignores it. And then he starts feeling ill. So he goes to get... um, He goes to the sexual health clinic and he gets tested. I mean, that's a good job he did because he could have just thought Mm. that's a horrible threat. Yeah, and he finds that he's HIV positive. So he reports it to the police. But this is kind of... Um, what happens a lot now the reason that Lenny's story got publicised quite a lot is because Lenny had um, he was really careful obviously he'd, he'd said about using a condom he'd seen him put the condom on but also um, both his parents had died from HIV that his dad had contracted it from a dirty needle and You're then passed kidding. it on to his mum through that needle so he'd always been really careful sworn he wouldn't put himself and in that situation and he knows how horrific it is yeah so he was devastated so Lenny's sort of like the one that the media sort of grabbed as the as the sob story for this but well because I guess he it's through no fault of his yeah, own like, exactly. you can't not that you should blame any victim but you couldn't say like well you had sex without a condom yeah. or well yeah. you just agree like he did everything that he to try and stop yeah that. he did the right thing um, so there were lots Bar of other similar, being celibate yeah so in Edinburgh there were similar stories so uh, Lenny actually happened later but I'd already written about it and it's just confusing um, so uh, Stuart went to Daryl's house to meet him the door had been open when he got there but he'd met, met him on Grinder. he'd asked Daryl to wear a condom um, and he saw him put the condom on but after sex he saw this empty condom on the bed he said to Daryl what happened did you wear it why, why, is, why is it empty I thought bums were supposed to be sensitive um, like I feel like I would be able to tell. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like I'd be able to tell. I can tell. I feel like I can tell the, the difference between a, a condom and a no condom. Mm, maybe if you use a hell of a lot of lube, that's a test. I know. Well, clearly do. he couldn't because if he, he'd asked him to wear one, and if he could tell yeah. that he'd taken it off, and he, he would have said, have said um, "So I trust you." Yeah. Uh, so Daryl um, so Daryl was like oh you're just being paranoid of course I used the condom, um, but then again it sent messages after saying ha 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 I took it off you're done that kind of thing and there's a guy called peter he'd met him on the grinder app and he'd also seen him at the gym so i guess he sort of thought oh he's not just some weird grinder guy i've I've also seen him at the gym Um, but they had unprotected sex because daryl had said oh i don't have hiv i've been tested i'm fine and he just believed him which is a real risk isn't it but you know it, it happens and then he sent messages saying, not really, I'm HIV positive after this, after they met up. Andrew also had sex with him without a condom. He'd stayed over. He thought maybe this would going to lead to a relationship. And literally, as he headed home, he'd gone on the app, um, I guess to see if he'd messaged him again or just to go on, just to see what's going on. I guess you're bored on the bus. And Daryl had been like, you're active on the app and sent abusive messages and said... Oh, oh because you were in it for monogamy, Daryl. Like, yeah, exactly. But like, also you're on the app <laughs> seeing if he's on the yeah. app like, you kidding me and he said i have hiv smiley emoji like just horrific 
So I see that, like the denial part of it. I'm like, right, I understand this. It's shocking news. It's devastating news. I get why you would maybe want not want to take that on board. But now this accepting he's got it and taking pleasure in passing it on, mm. that seems a leap that I don't understand. And what makes it worse that he to- every single time it's about a week later that he, he sends these messages. And if he told them within 72, to- 72 hours, you can take a drug that really reduces the, the chance you, you would catch the infection so he knew that you think so, yeah so he took he took longer on purpose now there are also other men not all of the men i've talked about contracted hiv um four did in edinburgh and it's a sort of spate of him having hookups with men we don't know how many men he slept with um, but we know of four and they all went to the police um, and they all told ser- similar stories of this guy um, because obviously they said, where did you get it from? You've got a contact. And they all said there was this guy. So please got involved because they were all giving similar descriptions and one gave his address because obviously he went to the house. Oh, yeah. So Daryl went on the run and he moves to Brighton and here he does exactly the same thing. Um, meeting men on the app, having sex, sending abusive messages and here that's where he meets Lenny. Now, he is eventually caught up with because the same thing happens, that they're going to the sexual health clinics and saying, um, I've got, I need an HIV test because this guy sent me these messages. So then they catch up with him there and he's arrested and questioned. And he says, I didn't know I was HIV positive. I've just moved down here. I had sex with one guy unprotected. Well, stop telling people you've got HIV then if you don't know. Exactly. Bullshit. Well, Bullshit. they know he got the diagnosis well, we know of the knows, doctors. But- the police sees his phone and obviously they can see the text messages then as well. Yeah. So that's bullshit. So he's cautioned and he's placed in the custody of the Scottish police. And what they do is they take him back up to Scotland and they give him a curfew and they say, you're allowed to stay with your foster parents in North Berwick. And that's it. You need to be in at this time of night. Um, and they, But he stays there a few nights and he goes on the run again. So he hides in the hills near Edinburgh. Can you what would you say as a mum and dad? What conversation would you have? Well, they were absolutely shocked. Can you imagine were, if you were I think they back? believed him in terms of him saying he didn't know. Oh, yeah, I suppose. So I think like, but they were really shocked when he went on the run. They that thought he was just going to marry up with, with their description of him as a child and their experience of living with him. Yeah, well, they were really surprised. Um, So then he goes and he literally stays in a tent in the hills near Edinburgh and they find his tent. So please eventually work out where he is and find his HIV medication, but the tent's empty. And what he'd done was he'd travelled to Newcastle and he was now using a fake name. He used the name Gary Cole and he meets Tom on another app and he's like this shy ginger man who's got three dogs and he doesn't really go out much and he's sort of like a little bit adorable. And... um, he is quite sort of he just lets Daryl move into his house I'm gonna say he's I was gonna say he seems like the boyfriend type yeah yeah absolutely and like Daryl's quite hot like so Daryl is taking medication at this point then well apparently um but I'm I, I don't know I'm not sure mm. like whether he's regularly taking it whether he's not taking it whether he wants well he sounds quite feckless so I'm not sure mm. that regular taking is I mean he left thing. it in the tent so true um, so he began to become quite controlling over Tom and he sort of restricted where he went, what he did, said come home straight after work. But also, he Tom said, oh, you wouldn't even let me watch the news. Now, obviously, there's a good <gasps> because reason Because it's going to be on it. <laughs> yeah, because his face might be on it. So um, I wonder what he said was the reason why. You can't just, watch the news. I don't want I you don't. getting upset, baby. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> But bless Tom, he sort of goes along with it. Um, so Daryl's still going on these dating sites. He's living at Tom's, but he's 
he's sort of oh, no. looking for other men as well. Now he doesn't put his face on them because obviously he knows the police are looking for him. So dick pic. <laughs> yeah. So one hardworking police officer um trawled through the apps which i kind of think is kind of weird but also the kind of police work i would do like i'd get really obsessed with something in particular i'd be like i will fucking find this guy we would be good at that as well we've done a lot of deep deep facebook stalking that's the the kind of police work i'd be we can find anyone on the smallest information (laughs) exactly so um this guy's looking through all the gay dating apps um and and trying to find daryl and he finds a photo of his penis and he recognizes it from the confiscated phone that they'd confiscated previously so then he sees there's a mobile phone number on this um profile and then they trace the mobile phone to tom's house Brilliant. Brilliant. Tom. Uh, so then they knock on the door and bless Tommy answers the door and they say who lives here and he goes me and my boyfriend um he doesn't talk like that <laughs> sorry Tom <laughs> and um we the officers to say and they say describe him to us especially his penis no just maybe his face <laughs> <laughs> um and he Is says he says he's got dark hair he's Scottish they go bingo so then they enter the house because Daryl's there um, and they try to find Daryl and he's not in there. And they work out that he's jumped out of the window um, and he's actually lying in the neighbor's garden. And what's happened is he's jumped out the window onto this flat roof and then he's fallen off the flat roof and he'd smashed a vertebrae <gasps> in his back and he's just lying in the neighbor's garden and unable to move. Oh. So they're like, brilliant. So poor Tom is also so taken. Like, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> yeah. But Tom's taken to a cell bless him no because he's because they they think think he he helped him and also gets an hiv test he's like bloody hell um he's found innocent and negative of the infection oh thank god i know that's so lucky but also he feels really used like obviously it's changed his life and tom you can start again (laughs) yeah take your dogs and find someone else so in his house also so he goes back home obviously he's he's let free but he finds um a pack of condoms and when he takes them out he realizes that they've been opened slightly and the like the the little nipple bit has been snipped off and they've been put Uh back in so obviously he's planning on yeah planning on carrying on so daryl's charged with five counts of gbh and five attempted gbh because i guess it wasn't really like a crime yet counted it as gbh passing on an infection there's no specific law against that i imagine so they've they've got to find a way of charging him um he was found guilty and he was listed as a sex offender and he received a life sentence so it was quite big news because obviously it's not really it's not really attempted murder i guess it was so deliberate and so malicious Mm. though yeah so and so potentially life-threatening to people who might not have known now, a lot of people who um, are involved in sort of HIV and talking about these and kind of infections and have got jobs in this area say they do worry that this story is going to increase stigma against people who are HIV positive. And obviously, most people aren't going around maliciously passing it on. Um, you should always be careful. But they said they don't want this story to become sort of a, a tale of HIV and, and people with HIV being bad people. Um and it's not a death sentence and a lot of the victims have said actually the worst thing has been the dishonesty and the lying that actually the infection they take drugs every day although it's not pleasant that it's not a death sentence it's not impacting on their life massively it's the other stuff that's come with this and i guess maybe that it's more that stigma of it like if they're taking the drugs and they're actually 
you know live able to live healthy lives it's more still that stigma of if you tell someone you've got it yeah and that the assumption that you got it through a way that you just weren't careful which a lot of these men were quite careful yeah um and then daryl's never admitted responsibility he said he believed he couldn't pass on the virus and that he was maybe a little bit deluded but that was all he said the messages he didn't actually think he'd given them hiv they were an attempt to get a reaction out of them which i think is bullshit um because like you said he waited that period of time yeah and there's um if in the documentary the man who used hiv as a weapon which is probably the best case to sort of learn about this and look at this um it shows how they do actually get a phone interview with him and um because his foster parents talk to him on the phone all the time at the prison but literally he says oh you know i want to be forgiven i'm really sorry blah 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 and then like in the next breath they put him back on with his foster parents he's talking about box sets he's watched on tv and he, he just doesn't seem bothered he's just carrying on with his life yeah I mean, what life he's got in there i don't know but um, it sounds the same as mine <laughs> what, what sets are you up to um yeah so that's i think it's quite an interesting case it's not technically a murder but i would say it falls under true crime oh yeah for sure i mean he's in prison so yeah tick uh thanks for listening um thank you and uh, if you'd like to join patreon you can do patreon.com forward slash slaughter the podcast uh we really really appreciate those people yeah, you are giving you're us all amazing you're fantastic and we love you with all our hearts um we we're uh, on facebook you facebook. can join our group there just search slaughter true crime podcast on facebook and you'll find the group yeah um at, at slaughter the pod on twitter and just like hit us up say hello okay thanks for listening guys Bye. uh remember listening to slaughter doesn't make you a psycho not going for your smear test does <laughs> even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. 
Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. So you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.